All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 20, Judges 15 and 16. Welcome to a world of chaos. Welcome to a world of Samson's life where it looks really good, but the reality is he's bringing on some issues himself. You know, a lot of people have defined Samson as a hero. Uh, They define him as a deliverer. In fact, I mean, the angel of the Lord said he's going to come and begin to save even Israel uh, from the Philistines. Forty years of of controlled chaos. And we're going to bring Samson in to kind of break all of this up. Yeah, that sounds really good. He is what what uh, uh, what 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 many commentators call him as an avenger. You know, he's this this hero that's coming in. Kevin, how would you define being an avenger? Someone who comes in and writes the wrongs or. He writes the wrongs. The problem is with Samson, the wrongs are because of him. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites doing evil, that, that's not him. But it's kind of like he just keeps compounding his own problems on top of the Israelite problems. And it, they weren't necessary. Crazy enough, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he, he defines uh, Samson. And he says this, his whole life is a season in a series of miracles. I like that. But then he also says it's also a season and series of follies. It's like, yeah, you go. And then you're like, oh, my, what have you done? And it's like, yes. And then you're like, oh, my. You know, here's the deal with Samson. Samson as an avenger. Okay, he really is. And he's coming. He's coming in to save the people. You just don't need to bring your baggage in the process. And where did he start bringing in this baggage? Like, when did this really begin to unfold? Before we get into Judges 15 and 16, let's let's paint a little bit of a backdrop if we can. Uh, can you go to Judges 14, verse 1? In Judges 14, verse 1, it's really the beginning of some of Samson's issues. Remember, he began, he was growing in wisdom in this process, but somewhere uh, he lost some focus. In Judges 14, verse 1, it says, Samson went down to Timnah. Okay, so we have a map up here of where Samson, can you go to the other one if you don't mind? Uh, it says that Samson, here's where he was born, okay, in Zorah. And then it says he, he found a wife in the Philistine city of Timnah. And that's where he saw a Philistine woman there. So he went here to find a wife. The problem is, Kevin, what's the problem? Uh, The little word Philistine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Out of boundaries. In fact, in verse 2, it says this of Judges 14. He went back and he told his father and his mother. So he went back to Zora. Hey, I found a great girl. Yeah, she's awesome. Beautiful, wonderful. Hey, where's she from? I've seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now you go get her for me as a wife. You imagine like, hey, mom and dad, you go get my wife. I mean, that's just weird. That's cultural. I get it. Just telling you it's a little bit different here in America. In verse three, but his father and his mother, I think they just scratched their head. They're like, what are you talking about? Can't you find a young woman among your relatives? Look, that's just weird in itself. Okay. Or among any of our people, but must you go to the uncircumcised? Isn't that interesting? They label them as those that don't follow what? The law. Don't follow the law. Don't follow the Lord. And that's one of the offenses. If you go to that route, they're not going to keep their eyes on the Lord. So how can you find a wife from the Philistines? Samson looks at his father and he says, go get her for me. 
because I want her. Just feels off. In fact, in Psalm 25, verse 15, you know, the psalmist writes this. It's talking about where to keep your eyes. My eyes are always on the Lord. If Samson, who is being called a deliverer to help begin to save the Israelites, if his eyes were on the Lord, this right here, my friends, would not be an issue. Going to the Philistines, that wouldn't even be a consideration. And yet Samson wanted the flesh. He wanted more, and not necessarily because it was from from the Lord. In Colossians 3, verse 1, Colossians 3, verse 1, I think this is a really good encouragement for us as all of us have been called to follow him. All of us have been called to keep our eyes on him and says this. So if you've been raised with the Messiah, you seek what is above. Where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on what is above and not what is on the earth. Samson, totally focused on the earth, totally not focused on above. In this weak moment, and I'm telling you guys, those moments are what create downfalls for your walk with the Lord. In Judges 15, verse 1, it says, Later on, during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a gift and visited his wife. Doesn't that sound weird? I'm going to go visit my wife today. Like, you should be with your wife. (laughs) I want to go to my wife in her room. Okay, now interesting, he says, but her father would not let him, her father, so this is Timnah, right? Timnah would not, that's what we just call her, Father Timnah would not let him enter. Now, in Genesis, bless you, Genesis 38, verse 17. Okay, if you'll go there for a second. This is another image of, of there's something to do with these gifts before sexual relations. Just I'm just kind of painting a picture of, of culture. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. We'll keep going to verse 16. He went over to her and said, come, let me sleep with you. He did not know that was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me for sleeping with you? Okay, sleeping with me. Like, what? what's the gift? In verse 17, he says, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. So here you have Tamar and asking for uh, a gift in order to have relations with, with Judah. It's all weird, you guys. I'm using this Im- image as an illustration because it's exactly what's happening in verse 1. In Judges 15, it says he's bringing a young goat as a gift to come before his wife, and the father says, no, you, you, can't, you can't enter. Just kind of a, a backdrop so you know the timing. During the wheat harvest, we're probably talking late May, early June, okay? Probably talking uh, during the Pentecost uh, feast, okay? So in verse 2, it says this. The father says, I was sure you hated her, her father said. So I gave her to one of the men who accompanied you. Is it? Isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she is? You you understand who's saying this, right? This is the dad. So he basically just said, my younger daughter's prettier than my older daughter. And I'm just going to give away the older daughter to somebody else because I didn't really think you were interested. Here, why don't you take her instead? heard this story once before. Yeah, and the guy's still carrying a goat. (laughs) And so in verse 3, like, it's messy, right? Samson said to them, this time... I won't be responsible, this is kind of crazy, when I harm the Philistines. What? I love what one commentator says, just based on this verse alone. Block, B-L-O-C-K, commentator, right? He's a new one. Samson is a man who has a higher calling. I think this is true than any other deliverer and then in the book. Strangely enough, though, he spends his whole life doing his own thing. Many of us would prefer to do our own thing. 
rather go to Timnah. I'd rather, if, can we go there? I'd rather go to Timnah and kind of just, I just want to see what it's like. Can I just experience the flesh side? You know, I know God's got to call my life, but here's what I think we do. We just put a hold on that. And it's almost like we think that that period of waiting, God's okay with. Samson says, you know what? What does your version say again in verse, uh, verse 3? I have a right to get even. Yeah, I'm not happy right now. Who made him not happy? The Philistines. So it says in verse 4, I've lost my wife. They offered me a younger one. The dad says no. And so here's what he does in verse, in verse, I love this, in verse 4. This is, this is amazing, actually. He went out and he caught 300 foxes. How do you do that? Now, I will tell you this, okay? Foxes, as one commentator said, uh, it says, and Nelson says that, uh, that foxes are solitary animals. So it actually would have been harder to gather. You know, whenever you see a fox, you very rarely see them in groups. You just see them as one and they just stare at you the whole time, right? But the other translation of a fox could have meant a jackal. J-A-C-K-A-L-S, okay? And they tend to travel in packs. And it actually would have made sense in that environment. It could have been a fox or a jackal. There's large numbers of them. So it would have been a lot easier to catch them maybe in larger packs and larger group settings than going to one and then like, where's another one? Just kind of an interesting image. But look what he does. He, he, he took torches. He turned the foxes tail to tail. And then he put a torch in between each pair of tails. So if I'm saying this right, you have two foxes at least, just a minimum. And somehow their tails are tied around a torch. He then ignited the torches and then released the foxes. And now like <laughs> foxes, can you imagine they're all tied together and tails and he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. And he burned up the piles of grain and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. All right, so you ready for this? So as an avenger, he got 300 foxes. And, and look what he burned. Okay, this is, this is crazy. Piles of grain, right? Standing grain. Okay. Uh, and then it says vineyards. And then what's the last thing? Olive groves. Can you guys tell me why did Samson do this? Well, that was their, that was their food. But what made him mad? Why would he even do this, though? He lost his girl. He lost his girl. He didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get what he wanted, and that's what he said, I, that's what I want. He, he's like acting like a spoiled little brat. I mean, I love Samson. He's a hero of, uh, you know, hero of faith, but at the same time, I want that. And the dad said, no, you have somebody else. So then he took 300 foxes and then he destroyed all of these things, all of these, all of these fields. And it, if you go back to the, to the white map here, it should have never happened. He crossed an area that it wasn't necessary. The people, here, here's what you have to understand. I don't know if I've said this well enough. You have to understand, who is he to deliver the Israelites from? The Philistines. Who's he marrying? The Philistine. Do you understand how, how dumb that is? And now he's mad at them? He should have been mad at them from the very beginning. But when love comes in, all of a sudden, he got all messed up. And he decides to destroy everything. <laughs> now, here, here, this is what's interesting, okay? In verse 6, okay, uh, it says, Then the Philistines asked, Hey, who did this? And they were told it was Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law. Okay, because he's taken Samson's wife and given her to another man. So it's all about a, a girl. 
This has nothing to do with the fact that God said, I want you to deliver my people from these people. He's just mad because he lost a girl. This is like worse than road rage. The Philistines went to her and to her father and they burned them to death. I will tell you this. It's interesting. In in Exodus 22, verse 6, okay, if you uh, burned any field, do you remember this? In Exodus 22, verse 6, when a fire gets out of control, spreads the thorn bushes, consumes stacks of cut grain, standing grain, or a field, the one who started the fire (laughs) must make full restitution for what was burned. I'm pretty sure Samson doesn't care. But I am telling you, this was the mindset. Now, obviously, the Philistines were not looking for that, but they were saying, hey, who started this, this fire? And, and then they, <laughs> they killed her. And the dad, the dad was like, how did he get into this? Man, in verse seven, then Samson told him, because you did this, I swear that I won't rest until I've taken vengeance on you. The Avenger line. There it is. You know, I'm coming for you, but the reality is it's because you started it. Like, Avengers aren't supposed to start it, right? They're supposed to come in and fix it. They're supposed to clean house. And you really want to say, no, Samson, because you did this. But now he's flipping it. And now we got to figure out what in the world do we do with this whole thing? And in verse 8, he says, he tore them, the Philistines, <laughs> from limb to limb, from hip to thigh, with a great slaughter. And then he went down in the cave at the rock of Edom. This dude is it's pretty violent. That's why God called him for this season. As strange as that sounds. Scripture says this in verse 9, Then the Philistines went up, they camped in Judah, and they raided Lehi. Lehi actually means jawbone, okay? And so here's may, maybe, maybe where they went. Okay, the Philistines, they're over here in this area. They had to come over into this area. And look what it says, though. It says they camped in Judah. Judah is not Philistine territory. They're crossing over and they raided Lehi, which means jawbone. Okay, just so you have an understanding of this. So then the men of Judah said, hey, why have you attacked us? Remember, this is God's army. Something has totally changed in the book of Judges. There's no more Joshua's going in and cleaning house and and removing the Philistines and all of the enemies of the Lord. And they said, well, we've come to arrest Samson and pay him back for what he did to us. So they're having a dialogue with the enemy. And then in verse 11, it says this, then, then 30,000 men of Judah went to the cave at the rock of Edom. So do you understand this? 3,000 men had an interaction at some point with the enemies. And instead of fighting the Philistines... They're like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go get Samson for you. They're looking for the easy way out. So they asked Samson, absolutely, Kevin, don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? I've done to them what they did to me, he said. It's crazy. In verse 12, they said to him, well, we've come to arrest you and hand you over to the Philistines. 3,000 people looking at Samson saying, we've come to arrest you because word is out. Whatever he did in dismembering people limb to limb, word spread. The 300 foxes in the, in the fields, word spread. This dude is crazy. And Samson said, okay, fine. If you're going to arrest me, hand me over to the Philistines. Just swear to me that you yourselves won't kill me. There's been a lot of dis- discussion about why he would say that. One of the thoughts is, is because he doesn't actually want to kill his own people. So if they say I'm going to kill, kill, if they say they're going to kill me, he might go into Hulk mode. 
You know what I mean, though? For real. He might kick in and like, okay, but he doesn't want to kill his own people. So just tell me you're not going to kill me and then I, I, I won't do anything to you. Scripture continues on and they said, no, we won't kill you. <laughs> That's because they can't. But we will tie you up securely and hand you over to them. So they tied him up with two new ropes and they led him away from the rock. You know, ropes back then, just as an image, they could have been made of leather, hair, plant fibers. The most common fiber would have been flax, actually, in referencing even in Joshua 2.6 with Rahab and the spies. And so they led him away from the rock. And so when he came, that's why they think he was near in the rock in this area, because then where does it say they took him? Okay, it says that they came to Lehi. Okay, we're in Judah still. And the Philistines came to meet him and they were they were shouting. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why I was when I was reading this, I was like, why is that so funny to me? Like, what are they shouting? Like, yeah, the Israelites turned in their own guy. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> you know, like. I mean, there, there might be some of that like, well, that was really easy. We just went to him, said, where's Samson? Oh, we'll go find him. And then they brought him back. Yeah, it's working. But then look what it says in verse 14. The spirit of the Lord took control of Samson. Sonny boy, little son. And the ropes that were on his arms became like burnt flax. And his bonds fell off, off of his wrists. And then the scripture says he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand and he went Avenger. He took it and yes, he killed a thousand men with it. And I don't know how he did it if they just lined up. One, two, I mean three. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get these images, but I think it's unbelievable. We went from 300 foxes, then his wife, Timna and father, they're dead. And the next thing you know, he's killing a thousand men with a, a jawbone. I mean, isn't this the coolest story? I wish somebody would make a movie out of this. The jawbone of a donkey. It says he killed a thousand men with it. Now, I just want to give you a little bit. Remember yesterday we talked about these different judges, uh, Othniel, who came in to deliver to save. In Judges 3.10, look what happens with Othniel. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he judged uh, Israel. Othniel went out to battle. It's really important, you guys, that the Spirit of the Lord comes on these, these judges. In Judges 11, verse 29, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit here. Jephthah. Jephthah. Uh, Jephthah. Jeff says, Jephthah <laughs> says, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh and then went through these regions. And so again, when the Spirit of the Lord kicks in with the judge, it's kind of like, yeah, it's go time. Like this is the action scene. This is when you're going to see the drama take place. Judges 6, verse 34. Judges 6, verse 34 in, in little Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon. And what does he do? He blows the ram's horns and the Ebezerites rally behind him. And so when the Spirit of the Lord takes on, it doesn't mean they have to do one specific thing, but the Spirit of God will clearly tell them what to do. It's never always the same. And I, I think that's the beauty of listening to the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, uh, it talks about Romans 8:14. It says, for those that are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. But being led by the Spirit of God means you're probably going to have a different day. You know, I was at a corner bakery, you know, studying the Word of God. And there was a guy over there, very clearly the Lord said, you go talk to him. At the same time, there was a woman in there, strange enough, he said, you go talk to her. Well, how I talked to him was how I, I, I talked differently to her. I knew actually her from a, a, a friendship of a friend of mine. 
and I just got to encourage her. The guy I got to pray over. And like, but both of those scenarios were different because the Spirit of God led me to do different things at different times. And so I just think that's why we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. We want the Spirit of God to say, I want the Spirit of God to always have me kill 300 foxes and burn a field. But the Spirit of God might actually have you take a jawbone and kill a thousand people. No, I'm not advertising that. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like, when you put the Holy Spirit in a box, then you never really do what He wants you to do. And what I love about the judges and how God uses them in this period of darkness and death and killing and sin and evilness, He uses the Spirit for you to penetrate all of that because every person, every season, it really is going to be different. And I, just, I think this is a cool image of... And yeah, it is drastic. It's extremely drastic. But I just think even within the church, when the Spirit of God prompts you to do something that's so radical and so different, and I'll just say this because we're talking about killing and death, the Spirit of God will never ask you to do anything that will contradict the Word of God. Okay? In our context, in the New Covenant, He's not going to ask you to do that. And so just keep that in mind. And so after Samson truly comes in, uh, somebody defined a jawbone as tough, resilient, and unbreakable. I would think, I mean... You guys, it says there was just one jawbone. You would think maybe after 500, it might break. After 750. But this jawbone was it's pretty crazy. If you go back to Judges 15, verse 16, then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in a heap. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. And in verse 17 of Judges 15, it says when Samson finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, just like, oh! You know, like all of us, we'd like frame it, you know, like that right there killed a thousand guys. And they named that place Ramoth Lehi, which means Jawbone Hill. You know what I love about Jawbone Hill? Interesting enough, it probably means why hill? Any thoughts? There was a pile of bodies. It's a heap. <laughs> thousand bodies. It says in verse 18, though, and I think this is really interesting. After a major, major triumph. As one commentator said, you should always expect testing. I don't want you to get too big of a head. It's not just about you, Samson. So he says he became very thirsty in verse 18. And then he called out to the Lord, you've accomplished this great victory through your servant. (laughs) Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? In other words, I'm really going to die because I don't have my water. Unbelievable. And so God Because he's God. He split a hollow place in the ground at Lehi. Jawbone, right? And water came out of it. I mean, this is awesome. After Samson drank, that water came out of nowhere. His strength returned. And you ready? And he revived. That is why he named it En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. En-Hakor means spring of the collar. And why does it say spring of the collar? What does that mean in Hakor? Well, think about this in verse 18. What does he do? Samson cries out. And so here you have Samson calling out to the Lord. That's what we're talking about. Spring of the collar. Samson cried out and God responded. Sounds a whole lot like his dad, Manoah. Manoah cried out and said, would you please, please, please send the angel of the Lord so we can teach and learn from you. And Samson, you know, I think somewhere down the road as he grew up, he got to see his father's prayer life. He got to see his father uh, crying out to the Lord. And I I don't know that for sure, but I think it's a pretty cool picture that Samson, uh, and and you have to wonder if he knew the stories of Exodus 17. You have to wonder if he knew the stories about Masa and uh, in Exodus 17, 1 through 17. Remember in in Meribah, 
Remember the stories of the rock and the water coming out of the rock? And then, I don't know, I just think you have, he has this understanding. God, God can do this. It's a pretty cool picture. I want to go there. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, if you can. You know, we talked about this in Numbers. Jesus was our what? Do you remember what our word was? Rock. Rock. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You know, Samson, obviously, going through life, listening to God's calling, messing up, listening to God's calling, messing up, right? At the end of the day, he was thirsty. Can I just tell you this? You and I are a lot like Samson. We go through the day, we mess up. We have a calling, we go through the day, we mess up. The difference between Samson and us, though, is that you and I have water that will never run dry. You and I have water that will never go out. And I love that 1 Corinthians 10, it says the rock is Christ. In John 7, it says there's a a living water that's inside of us. So as we pursue his calling, we have to depend upon Christ. We have to depend upon the Holy Spirit moving in and through us. Because what you're going to find with Samson is, is he forgets that. And he depends upon himself and then he goes back to God. The beauty of what we can learn from this is that we can depend upon him all the time. Now, this is crazy. In Judges 16, um, (laughs) there's so much here. But I I don't want to not say anything about this just so we're on the same page. Remember this in verse 1 of Judges 16. Samson interacts with a prostitute, okay? And then uh, the Gazites, they surround him for an ambush, okay? And then in verse 4, he falls in love with a lady named Delilah. This is a great story of Samson and Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. Uh, And then there's a whole lot of money offerings at 1100. There's some fresh, uh, they they get into this process about, hey, how can I, Delilah says, how how can I, how can I like get your strength to go away, right? Three times she says this, how can I get your strength to go away? Well, first of all, there's, uh, he talks about these um, uh, in verse seven, Kevin, can you go there? Judges 16, verse seven. Uh, seven fresh bowstrings. He says, if you put bowstrings around me, ah, that'll work. And then he gets into, in verse 11, if you tie me up with ropes, ah, that, that'll work. And then he gets into verse 13, if you tie me with the, if you take my head and, and do seven braids, oh, that'll work. And then finally, though, have you seen Samson's downfall with Timnah and now with Delilah? It's always women. His weakness is women. And so finally he caves in in verse 17. He says, fine, just cut my hair. If you cut my hair because I'm a Nazarite, I'm going to lose my strength. So here you go. Samson went from crazy killing a thousand people but because one girl says, hey, how do you lose your strength? He tells her. So then what do they do? They shave off the seven braids and the Lord left Samson. Philistine seized Samson, the great warrior, and they gouged out his eyes. They gouged out his eyes, and then at the very end, as they put him into prison, as he's grinding grain in prison with no eyes, his hair starts to grow back. Now they forgot about that fact. And his hair began to grow back because after it had been shaved, and so he convinces somebody to take them to the pillars where, uh, where all these people were, 3,000 people, and one more time, Scripture says in verse 28, one more time, Samson got to be used by the Lord. He said, God, please remember me, strengthen me one more, just one more time. And look, in verse 28, here it ties everything with one act of vengeance. Let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. I just have to say this. Why do you think it's his eyes? They didn't cut off his arms. They didn't cut off his, he cut his eyes. 
It's because that's what he went. That's what he saw the, the women with. Judges 14, verse 1, 2 and 3. He says, that's what I want. What I see with my eyes, that's what I want. And so in Scripture, even in, even in Matthew, it says it's better to, to cut one eye out or remove one eye, right, than to let your whole body be. It's exactly what happened to Samson. And so I don't know if I want to say thankfully or praise the Lord. <laughs> 3,000 people ended up dying. The Philistines ended up dying. And Samson continued this journey of... Uh, I would say he ended his journey of killing the enemies. And this is really what God asked him to do from the very beginning. Isn't that true? More people died in this 3,000 than in all of his lifetime. I wonder what would happen if Samson would have taken his call and his role more seriously from the beginning. And that's our challenge. Don't wait till the end, you guys, to walk out your calling. Walk out your calling now. All right, guys, that's Judges 15 and 16. We'll talk to you tomorrow.